0: It's 1209. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thanks to Jerry Bader for filling in last week. I'm back 235 this afternoon. Senator Ron Johnson joins me. We're going to discuss health care. We're going to discuss what the White House should do with the Saudi Arabian mess, all sorts of other stuff. So stick around for that. But a lot of things before we get to that. I do want to start off. I think as many of you knew, I, I did my my listener trip. We I was joined by 50 WTMJ listeners and my wife, Fran and I and our great representative from Fox World Travel, and we. it was really an interesting trip. I had never been on a river cruise before, and I'm really glad that I liked it a lot because, of course, I had agreed to do another one next year that they've been advertising. And I was thinking, well, if if I don't like this, but I I absolutely, absolutely loved it. But it was so very interesting. And by the way, we are, as we always do, first couple segments of the program today, we are live streaming. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ wearing my new kind of pullover top that my wife bought for me. So looking good today. But you can check it out, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. But in any event, this was a very, very interesting river cruise. And one of the things that appealed to me about river cruising was that you you, you don't have to pack and unpack, but you get to go to a number of interesting places. And this was along the Danube. So what we did is we flew to Budapest. By the way, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, you know, it's not Budapest. It's Budapest. And did you I did not know this. Maybe everybody knew. Did you grew know that Budapest is not one city? Budapest is two cities. It's Buda and it's Pest. It's like Minneapolis St. Paul and it's divided by the Danube River. It's, it's real like I, and and so you you it divides it and it, it's it's two separate cities that are separated there it was fascinating during they were talking about during world war 2 the germans were on one side don't ask me which side they were on and the, and the soviets were on the other and they were just like lobbing you know bombs back and forth at each other and it's and it's fascinating you can you can stand on the, the, the palace steps, and you can look across the Danube. and you can, it, just, it was an amazing part of the world that I had never been to. Here is the other interesting thing about this, and one of the reasons I find travel to be so broadening, is you get to talk to people who live in, in other areas. Uh, Budapest and all of Hungary was, was a Soviet-controlled state. Uh, you know, after World War II, the Soviets grabbed Hungary, and until the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1990, they, you know, the, the people in Budapest, people in Hungary lived under Soviet rule. For everybody who is out there, and I am addressing myself particularly to the millennials and younger who just follow the teachings of the, the Elizabeth Warrens and the Bernie Sanders of the world and think socialism is the way to go. You should talk to somebody who lived under a communist-slash-socialist regime. They hate the commies in Hungary. They just hate the commies. I mean, they tell stories about how, you know, when it was Soviet-controlled, when they were living under communism, you know, to buy a car, here's how you had to do it. You had to pay for the car up front. First of all, there were only three kind of cars you could buy, and they were all crummy because they were Soviet-made, and what you had to do, you had to pay for it up front. And then you had to wait five years, five years for the car to be delivered. And then, you know, if you didn't like it too bad, you you were stuck with it. They would tell these stories about how If you wanted to buy candy or Christmas presents or things like that, they would open up like a state store that brought in stuff from the West. It was open for two weeks in early December, and that's where you bought your Christmas presents. If you didn't, if you didn't get your chocolate, then you weren't going to get it. I mean, they just, they just, just talked about how one thing after another, their lives were just miserable living under a socialist slash communist regime. And it's just anybody, like I say, who who wants to thinks we should go down the you know bernie sanders road and all oh, socialism would be so wonderful should talk talk to people who actually lived under these types of regimes so then what happened is the, the the river cruise goes um goes west across austria and we were in vienna and we were in salzburg the thing that struck me about vienna and all throughout and all throughout austria austria is a, a state that has, of course, the national health care like they do throughout a lot of Europe, and the two things that people talk about is how how everything gets taxed. They were telling me in in Vienna, for example, on on all the stores, if the you, you've got a sign that let's say the sign is on your store, you're a shopkeeper, and the sign is on your store, and it, as most of them do, they extend out like at a ninety degree angle, like over your door, like imagine like a barber pole or just a the, the sign sticks out there. They tax it. They tax you for the air that you are using to occupy your sign. Everything is, is taxed and it goes to support again, the, the state run healthcare system. So I was saying, okay, well, all right, but you know, it costs money. What do you think about it? And I will tell you, no matter who you talk to, what they would say is this. They said, well, if, if you're really, really sick, like you have a heart attack or something, they, they take care of you. Otherwise, they say it's a disaster. And this is one person after another. And they say, because the problem is medical care is rationed. If you have a heart attack and you're in imminent danger of dying, you get treated. But if you want to, if you need a knee replacement or a hip replacement, you're looking at eight months or a year or maybe more. For your regular physicals, it's not just a question of calling up your doctor. You schedule it eight months in advance. And if you miss that appointment for any reason, well, then you're looking at another eight months to a year. Matter of fact, they were telling me in Vienna how what's happening is that the reaction, especially by people that have money to the, the whole system of nationalized health care, is there's now this whole private sector that's developing where people just opt out of it. You know, they end up having to pay the taxes. But because the care is so crummy and it's so managed, what they end up doing is they just pay private physicians anyway. So again, for everybody, all the Tammy Baldwin's of the world, the Medicare for all, you should spend some time in some of these countries talking to some of the people who work for a living out there and trying to figure out how how this really is. So okay, Group, the, the the we we saw all these, you know, palaces and all these museums and all these churches on the trip and all that type of stuff. Do you know what the most interesting thing for me was? You couldn't even begin to guess, could you? No, all right. And, and it be, maybe this is because I am such a history nerd and, and I, I, I understand this is a completely nerdy thing to, to say. Because we saw spectacular museums and we saw just amazing palaces and these churches. We went down to Salzburg, saw where Mozart was born. We, we did the sound of music tour where you saw where a lot of stuff in the movie was filmed, all those types of things. For me, the, the most emotional and most intense moment of all the stuff we visited was a balcony, a balcony, a second-floor balcony. Because last Friday, we were in the Austrian town of Linz, and um, Adolf Hitler was from Austria. And this balcony, which is in the, in the, in the center square of, of Linz, in 1938, when Germany annexed, Austria, and you know, there, there's all sorts of historical controversy about did Germany force their way in, or did Austria really want this to happen? But when when it was, they call it an, they call it an annexation, but it's where you know Germany like reunited with, with Austria. In 1938 in March of 1938 Adolf Hitler stood on this balcony second floor little balcony addressing this big public square and, and announced the fact that Austria and Germany have now been reunited and you 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 can go up to that balcony it was just i it was just absolutely amazing when i saw it i'm just standing there and you can just look right up it's a second floor balcony and i'm picturing you know 1938 apparently the square was filled with with cheering Austrians, you know, and the tour guide I was talking to said, "You know, this is a very dark moment in our country's history, but this is this is where it's happened because in the building behind this balcony, it's where they signed all the annexation papers, and Adolf Hitler stood right there." So I was just of all the different places we saw, and maybe again, this is the history geek in me coming out. It was just it was just an absolutely amazing thing to see. The other thing that we did that was very very cool. Means this marriage of mine is going to take because we're in Salzburg and they have this thing called the bridge of locks, L O C K S, and and what you do is you take like a, a lock and you lock it on the bridge. You write your name on the lock. And then you take the key and you throw it into the Danube, and that means you're, you're going to be together forever. Well, I, I had I'd heard the story, hadn't done that until I come back, waiting for like the tour bus to pick us up, and one of the ladies on the trip, Karen, I'm thinking about you now, says to me and Fran, Hey, did you guys do this? and i said no we, we didn't think of it so next thing i know i'm running across to this like store across the way where they sold me a two dollar and fifty cent lock for 20 euros but we got to write our name on it have some great pictures maybe i'll post them of us throwing the key into uh, the danube so it was a great trip thanks to everybody for going on them if you ever get a chance To um, go on the Danube, I'd I'd say do it. It was just kind of an interesting experience going to a part of the world that I have never been. All right. There's a lot of big stuff going on in the world, and there's some interesting stuff that is closer to home. We're going to talk about the big stuff going on in the world, I guarantee it, but a real interesting story from a North Shore community, and I want to start with that when we come back in just a minute. It's 1219. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. Uh, this is, like I say, Jeff Wagner. It's 1220, Jeff Wagner. It's 1223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to hear, have you with us. Oh, yes, of course, a lot of stuff going on with the Brewers and the Packers. Your son or daughter may not grow up to be the next Christian Yelich or Williams sister, but you still want them to be a good sport. Gene Miller shares tips on teaching sportsmanship at 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay, we're, we're going to talk about. The latest goings on in Washington and President Trump and all those things in just a minute, but th- there is a story. I, I, the local newspaper had it, and I don't know if it was if it ran yesterday or today or whatever. But I find it fascinating because it's one of these things that deals with the interaction between people who live nearby. And you know, I, I will tell you if you want to look at some of the most vicious spats that occur. Sometimes it is between neighbors, and this is one of those stories. And I want to talk to you about it and ask you who you think is right and who is wrong. All right, beach in, in Fox Point, right? You know, there's part of Fox Point which is up on the bluff over the lake, and there's part of Fox Point which is down along the lake. You you go down road called Beach Drive, and there's a number of houses that are down, kind of parallel with the lake. Now, one of the things we we know is when it comes to real estate. Uh, if you have a lake view, you have a view of the water that generally enhances the value of your property right and it also enhances your enjoyment. people like to look out at water. One of the great things about going on a river cruise is you open your windows and there you know you you can see the countryside passing by very very cool all right so here's the story the the way the the, the journal center reports it there's there's this a couple. They move into their new home on Beach Court in Fox Point. And Beach Court is one of the, it's down kind of level with the lake. So they buy this house in 2016. It's a 1957 house. And so what they're doing is they're refurbishing the inside. All right. So then what they do is Lake Michigan is about 60 yards away. So what they start doing is they start trimming trees in their yard so they can get a better view of the lake. Well, what happens is, there's other branches and trees and stuff in the way. So what the homeowners do is they, um, then go into the yard of the neighbor and cut about 150 of the neighbor's trees and branches, branches without telling the neighbor. All right. So they get a better view. All right. This is great. You know, we, we've removed all this, the, these trees and stuff, you know, but they did it by going onto the neighbor's property. So what happens is they ended up getting fined like 400 bucks. I'm surprised it's only 400 bucks, but they get fined 400 bucks for trespassing and injuring plants. So, right, so then they feel bad. Now, of course, they've already done, they've already enhanced their view because they, they've cut the neighbor's trees, but they 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 apologize. They say, you know, um, we're guessing you, like us, chose the neighborhood because of location, the view. Sorry, our priority of the view overtook our priority of neighborliness. We apologize. All right. So they, they apologize. They say they're sorry. But still, I mean, the damage is is done. So the lady who owns the house where this all went on, where the the trees were cut, she sues the couple for trespassing, destruction of property and conversion, which is taking something that belong, taking something that doesn't belong to you. All right, so she sues this lawsuit. Then what happens, the case goes to court, but before it goes to trial, the parties agree to a dismissal. Right, So the case is dismissed. So then what the lady does, now this is the lady who owned the property where the trees had been cut down. She plants new trees, about 21 new trees in her yard where the other branches had been cut down. So she puts new trees and more trees back in there. So then the people, all right, the first people that that cut the trees in the first place, they they get mad because of what this woman is doing on her property. They say she intentionally placed the new trees to block their view. It's diminishing the value of their home. They have now filed a lawsuit saying, oh, these new trees that you put up on your property, they are essentially a, a spite fence. You're doing this to block our view. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right, I want to spend a segment talking about this. So that's the story behind it. Who's right? Who's wrong? The lady who originally had these trees and branches up that were cut down, she is now planting new trees on her property. The other people... Say, hey, this lady is planting these trees on her property simply out of spite to try to, you know, block our view of this, and they are suing. 414 799-1620, that is the Accunet Mortgage Talk or Text Line. Who do you sympathize with? The lady whose trees and branches were improperly cut in the first place, or the homeowners who say, Hey, we want a better view of the lake, and this lady is planting these trees to block us. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I have a very strong opinion on this. We'll discuss in a couple minutes. But I'm curious as to what you think. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are live streaming on Facebook.com, so you can check that out as well. It's 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. No, I understand this is a first world problem, but I think it's an interesting thing. You have one, one pair of neighbors who want a better view of the lake. So what they do is they go on, they buy a house, then they go on to their neighbor's property. They trim a whole bunch of trees and bushes to improve their view. <laughs> and then, okay, the, the the lady then responds, the the homeowner, by putting up, by replacing, putting up new trees that, that block the view. And the first couple has the audacity to now sue, saying, oh, there are these new trees that she's putting in. This is like a spite fence. All right, who's right, who's wrong? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I don't think this is a difficult one. Chris in Salkville. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hi there, Jeff. Thanks take my call. Yes, sir. Um, I think, uh, spike fence or not, they can or fence or not, they can build it as tall as they want. It's their property. It's what they, whatever they choose to do with it. Um, they trust that in the first place. Yeah, you know, trees down, they should be able to plant more. You know.
0: Well, I, I guess, yeah. Thanks for coming. and I, I mean, I understand. Like the Journal Sentinel story, and I cites the state law on a spike fence, which says any fence hedge or other structure in the nature of a fence unnecessarily extending six feet in height, maliciously erected or maintained for the purpose of annoying the owners, shall be deemed a private nuisance. These are trees. This isn't a fence. This isn't a hedge. These are trees. I I think this argument is ridiculous, and I think the people who have filed this lawsuit are outrageous. I mean, seriously, if you want a house with a better view of the lake, well, buy one that has a better view of the lake. But this idea that you can't tell this lady she can plant trees. I Look, I, I've never lived in a place that's had a lake view. But, you know, when I lived in my house in Whitefish Bay, we, we just wanted more privacy. You know, we... We put in trees all along one side of our house, and it wasn't. I mean, our motivation was I just didn't want we didn't want the neighbors, you know, looking into our backyard. Did that affect their view? Well, yeah, I, I would argue probably it probably improved it because they didn't look into our backyard. But I mean, I, I elected I erected trees, and yes, the whole purpose was that the trees at some point in time were going to go to a sufficient height that you were going to get a degree of privacy. But my it's my property, and this idea that this lady. Can't plant trees. I don't care what her motivation is. Maybe she wants the privacy because she doesn't want the neighbors looking through. Doesn't matter. It's her property, and I think she should be able to do whatever the heck she wants with it. I also think it takes a lot of, well, use whatever word you want to (laughs) use, to have gone illegally onto somebody's property, cut a bunch of branches, cut a bunch of their, their trees, trimmed a bunch of their trees, and then you have the audacity to complain when she wants to replace some of that let's talk to tom in watertown tom you're in wtmj hello
1: yep i uh i had a similar situation up north too we've got a cabin you know angled lots so the houses are side by side but the lots are angled and we had some new owners come in and you know they wanted a better view and they did the same thing and you know we had discussions and they agreed not to do it anymore i replanted trees because i didn't want them you know looking at looking at me on the deck when they were sitting on their deck and my trees mysteriously die every year
0: oh could you think they're poison yeah i mean but that but it's your it's in my opinion tom it's your right to, to do that you know you want privacy or whatever you're not putting up a fence an artificial barrier you're planting trees and it's your place and you should have the right to plant trees if you want i think oh I'd love to put up a pink fence. <laughs> <laughs> well, them, they, thanks for going. Well, but they didn't put up a pink fence. She, she's, she's planting trees on her property. And I think that, you know, homeowners have to have every right to do it. I mean, I understand these laws against unreasonably high, um, spite fences. Well, this isn't a spite fence. It's a tree. And the reason people plant trees is they want privacy or maybe they like to look at trees or whatever. And like I say, this couple who's whining because their view of the lake isn't as nice. Tough. You don't like it, sell the house, and buy one that's got a better view of it. But you don't get to tell other people what they get to do with their property. Let's talk to Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ.
1: Uh, yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Well, you know, I totally agree 100% with what you've been saying so far.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, however, this 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 lady um, or the people that did this right. got fined only 400 and some dollars, correct?
0: It, yeah, I, which is amazing. You know, it's funny. I was saying to Eric Bilstead off the air, I don't understand how you can go onto somebody else's property, and I presumably they hired a service to do it, cut away a bunch of other people's property, and only get fined $400. That's that's crazy to me. You would think that the fine would be much more substantial.
1: Well, let me add this. On top of the fine, which of, yeah should have been a lot more, they could have easily. If I was a judge, I would have had the people who did that come in and plant the trees for her,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean I mean again it's you know I mean I don't know, but apparently that's what the the problem is for i mean that's what the fine is for trespass and stuff like that, but it's the, the, this is this is what happens you know when you buy you know property you you're always going to be subject to what goes on a neighbor's lots now sometimes I think the community has the right to come in and say. Look, um, you. For example, there's a number of communities that have restrictions on on what you can have in your front yard and your driveway. You know, you don't they, they they don't want you to turn your your front yard into a, a junkyard where you've got you know washing machines and and rusted out cars and things like that because that affects the value of everybody's property because, oh, you're the one that lives in that area where there's the junkyard. So I've always thought that the community has a right to set certain kind of restrictions. But we're not talking about, you know, like old burned-out cars or washing machines or refrigerators. No, we're talking about trees. And if you want to plant trees on your property, I don't think the village of Fox Point or anybody has the right to tell you that you can't plant trees on on your property. And if it happens to mess around with the view of a neighbor's house – Two bad neighbors. You should have thought of that before you moved in. Joe, on the north side. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Joe.
3: I read the journal story, too, and they gave me a great new saying. I love it. It is better to ask forgiveness (laughs) than ask permission. Right, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When I read that, I'm like, that is brilliant.
0: Well, that, that was always the philosophy in the federal government. It's easier to apologize than to ask permission. So go ahead and do what you think is best. But, yeah.
3: What they should have done now they and then they talked about the value, how it goes up like a hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars the property value goes up if you have a view of the lake. Well why didn't they just go over there with a suitcase with a hundred grand in it <laughs> say, listen, this is yours. Let me trim your trees down to six feet or bushes down right. to six feet high. I'm sure they would have been like Go
0: nuts! Well, well, like, well, I, I don't know, but at least in that way, then they'd be out a hundred grand. This way, you, you, they got to do it. They only got fined four hundred dollars. Now, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I thought this was kind of an interesting story. Now, obviously, you know, in in, in a perfect world, you kind of work stuff out, but At the end of the day, when it comes to property rights, and that's the larger point here, and I understand some people say, ah, this is just a dispute between, you know, two rich people or who, people who have, you know, houses that are worth half a million dollars on, you know, on the lake. Who cares about this? But it, but it's, it's this kind of larger point about, you know, property rights. Do you have the right to do Ordinary things on your property. This isn't extraordinary. This isn't putting up a 20-foot tall, fa- high, you know, pink fence. This is planting trees. And, and I mean, I don't think anybody has any right to ask this lady what her motivation is. Maybe she likes trees. Maybe she's trying to screw over her neighbors. Who cares? It's her property. And uh, again, planting trees, it's not going to hurt the value of people's property other than the fact that the folks might not have as good a view, but all right, shouldn't you be able to plant trees? This is one I, again, I don't know how this whole thing is going to turn out, but I've got no sympathy at all for the folks that illegally you know, chopped tree limbs on the lady's house and now have the audacity to sue to say you shouldn't be able to replant or you shouldn't be able to plant new trees. They're trees. 1244 Jeff Wagner WTMJ. 1248 Jeff Wagner WTMJ after two game split at Miller Park the National League Championship Series shifts to California for three at Chavez Ravine it's the Brewers and Dodgers from Dodger Stadium with Bob Bucher on the call our coverage starts at five o'clock with the first pitch set for 639 now on the one hand I was very disappointed that I was in Europe last you know last weekend so I didn't get a chance to go to the games on the other hand I have to admit it was kind of cool we, we found a Fox Sports international broadcast of the second game, the one the Brewers lost. Now, where I was in Germany was seven hours ahead of here. So the Saturday afternoon game, first pitch was like 1030 at night. But it was kind of cool to be sitting on this cruise ship in Passau, Germany, you know, watching, watching the Brewers game. It would have been cooler if they hadn't kind of given up a couple runs in the eighth inning. But that is another story. Today is another day. All right. Coming up in about 20 minutes, I want to talk about... That this ongoing controversy involving the Trump administration and the disappearance of this Washington Post journalist in Turkey—if you—if you were to watch CNN—and I only had my choice between three three TV stations—well, um, I guess a couple more than that—but if you wanted an English-speaking TV station, you know, you, you were stuck with CNN International. And this is all this is all they were talking about last week. We'll discuss it in about fifteen minutes. There was another interesting story, though, in the Journal Sentinel that I saw when I got back, involving. The Tom, the Tom Barrett, the parking pirates, and if you're a regular listener of this program, you know that one of the things that I've always obsessed upon is how how difficult it is to park in downtown Milwaukee and how anti-business the aggressiveness of the parking checkers are. By that, I mean here, you know, you're over the meter. By two minutes, we're going to fine you $35. And, of course, you've seen that play out recently with the Common Council and Tom Barrett deciding that they're now extending parking, you got to pay to park on Saturdays. you got to pay at nine o'clock in the evening up till nine o'clock in the evening and now if you're going anywhere where people might want to go, they use surge pricing to make you pay even more. I think it is just terrible the way that you are being gouged in the city of Milwaukee for wanting to park your car. But here's this great story in the paper and I want to talk to you about it in this context. all right the uh, it's a couple. Who they are from Appleton, they haven't visited Milwaukee in eight plus years. But what happens is they keep getting overdue notices to pay parking fines on a car that they did not own. And uh, apparently, what what happens? Long story short, is that they have a, a motorcycle, and the, the license plates on the motorcycle is similar. To the license plate on some car that's racking up parking tickets. But it is only similar. So the Department of Motor Vehicles and Tom Barrett's folks, they, they start sending the, these incorrect parking tickets to these people in Appleton who say, I don't, we haven't we, been to Milwaukee in a decade. All right. Now then it comes to the point where there's the finger pointing is it the city is it the company that the city hires to collect the money is it the state DMV etc and you know everybody's pointing their fingers at each other and the bottom line is it appears to be both the city of Milwaukee and the company that you know they hire to do the collections for the parking tickets and you know they they're all at fault but the bottom line is this couple in Appleton they're not at fault but they're the ones that are getting these threatening letters over and over and over again saying you're going to have your auto registration suspended. In this case, the registration suspended on the, the motorcycle. We might be placing liens, all this type of stuff. You know. all And they're getting these threatening letters over and over again. So what happens is the couple calls. They, they call up and they say, look, I don't know what you're talking about. This is we don't own a car like this. We have a motorcycle. It's not this license plate. We haven't been to Milwaukee in 10 years. And they keep calling over and over again. And every time they call, the first thing they are asked is, how would you like to pay that today? Three weeks of phone calls. And all the people that they are calling are saying is, we don't care about your explanation. Give us the money. Nobody's willing to help. Nobody's willing to fix it. They're being told, well, all right, this is what you say, but it's your burden of proof. So then they do. They send like the VIN number for their motorcycle and their registration, and essentially nothing nothing happens. And they're told, well, the only way that you're going to get out from under paying this is if you take a day off of work, drive to Milwaukee, and schedule an appearance in front of a municipal court judge or or maybe the guy that runs this particular agency, and maybe then they'll consider it. <laughs> and and they say the biggest frustration isn't the fact that you've got this bureaucratic mix-up, but it's the fact that nobody in the city of Milwaukee gives a rat's rump about the fact that they've got it wrong. All they want is the dough. And they don't care if it's right or wrong, but they are using these intimidation tactics to try to collect. And that's what the aggravation to me is. I understand Look, people make mistakes. I I get it that you've got these computerized systems, and I guess I understand how something like this can happen. But this couple in Appleton who is saying, this is wrong. Here, we're sending you this stuff. And over and over again, they're calling, they're complaining, they're trying to tell this, and all they're being told is, well, you know, we're going to suspend your license and registration. We're coming after you. Pay up, whether it's right or not. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think it's wrong. To expect that the city of Milwaukee and the people, the companies that the city of Milwaukee hire, to try to, I don't know, collect on their parking tickets, I think they owe the general public. Whether you're a resident of Appleton or Outagamie, uh, uh, rather resident of Outagamie County or Ozaki County or Milwaukee County, I think you are owed more than simply, well, prove it to us. 414 And that's where the outrage is. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ.
1: Yes, sir. Thanks again. Hi, Chris. Hey, no, for real. I believe that Tom Barrett's back is against the wall only because the big picture of the state, you know, usually would help in these issues with Milwaukee County. And Tom Barrett doesn't know what to do anymore because we're running out of funding. So he's allowing the bullies to take over and he doesn't even care anymore. And so what's happening underground is that these people that don't deserve this are starting to get bullied and saying, Give us your money, give us your money when they have nothing to do with it in the first
0: place. Well, thanks Nicole. It is it is bullying. I mean that yeah, I mean there, there's there's no question about this. And and these are the it's sort of this legitimized uh, you know, uh, idea of let let us intimidate people. Now, look, I I understand. I don't know how much the parking ticket was thirty or thirty five dollars. And I wonder. My real question is, how often is the city of Milwaukee and the contractors it hires? How often does this occur? Because you know that there's a lot of people who simply don't fight city hall. I mean, I don't know what the parking ticket is. Is it thirty bucks? Is it forty bucks? Well, I don't know. You're you're not going to take a day off of work, drive down from Appleton you know, to just simply clear up a parking ticket. It's going to cost you more than 30 or $35. I seriously wonder, in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, how often does this go on? And is this the tactic that it, at least, if, if not encouraged, at least is embraced? And, and I guess the bigger point here is, Aren't we owed more than this? And, I mean, my heart goes out to these folks. And I understand it. My, I, I think a lot of people would probably just pay the ticket. You, you'd give up. After you've made three or four phone calls, you sit there and say, it's only $35. It's wrong, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I understand the tendency to do this, but this is what goes on in the, in the city of Milwaukee. And it's not just that you can't fight City Hall, but it's that City Hall doesn't care. City Hall doesn't care. And, again, I'm including City Hall and the people, the contractors it hires to collect money on its behalf. They don't care if it's right or wrong. It's like it's your burden of proof, pay up or else. And I think people deserve more than that. It's 1257. When we come back, we're going to talk about this now international crisis and criticism that President Trump is getting that I don't think is deserved. Stick around. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1-10, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so we're on this cruise ship, and we're we're in Austria and Hungary and Germany, and and they have a whole bunch of TV channels that you can choose from. Maybe about twenty four, but there's only two or three that speak English. You know, there's there's, there's they actually they, they had the regular Fox channel, so you could watch Fox. Then they had Fox Sports International, which, with the exception of The two Brewers games, one that they showed on a 12-hour tape delay and the other one that they showed live, Fox Sports International was primarily like cycling and auto racing and swimming. And then they had CNN International and they had a BBC one. So there were four stations. Other than that, everything was was non-English. And so you end up gravitating to that. So I'm I was, I apologize, I, I know, but I mean, I'm, I'm watching CNN because I'm trying to get some news. And I, I will tell you, if you are watch, we're watching CNN International last week. I, I thought this particular story was all, the only two things that people were talking about in the United States were the fact that the stock market went into the dumper big time last week for a couple days, and the fact that there's this controversy involving this journalist who is estranged from saudi arabia i mean that because that was i'm telling you out of a 30 minute news block 20 minutes would be oh is this going to be the end of the trump administration all this type of stuff and now i come back and of course i find that i don't think that this country is as riveted to that story as that cnn was making it but nevertheless it is an interesting story and i'm kind of curious as to how do you react to this all right let's let us review the bidding let's start with saudi arabia Saudi Arabia is a, an ally of the U.S. in a region where the U.S. needs allies, right? That's just they are a trading partner. We do business with them. They have oil interests. Um, there's a, an ongoing arms deal that they're trying to work out. So they are a business partner. More importantly, from a strategic point of view, Saudi Arabia and you've got Saudi Arabia and you've got Iran. And Saudi Arabia is, you know, they don't like Iran and Iran doesn't like Saudi Arabia. But, you know, that's where our partnership is. Saudi Arabia is important in trying, Saudi Arabia is important in trying to keep Iran under control. All right, that's, that's it. Saudi Arabia has a history of human rights abuses. It is extremely totalitarian and the, the ruling monarchy there. I don't know that they're necessarily particularly good people, but nevertheless, it is a strategic ally of the United States. So here's, here's what happened. October 2nd, which was about, you know, going on two weeks ago, October 2nd, there is a Saudi dissident. His name was, is Jamal Khashoggi. And he was a journalist. He wrote for the Washington Post, among other things, well-known in the journalistic community, well-known in the diplomatic community. And, and he was critical. He was a critic of the current Saudi regime. All right, that's the background. To the point that he voluntarily left Saudi Arabia. He, he put himself into kind of a self-imposed exile and has been writing all sorts of critical things about the ruling family in Saudi Arabia. What happens is that Istanbul, Turkey, um, there's a video of this, this guy, Khashoggi, walking into the Saudi consulate about 1.15 p.m. two weeks ago, October 2nd, and he never comes out. They, they, he never comes out, and he has disappeared. Turkey claims, Turkey claims that it has this information that suggests that the journalist was murdered and then in a a very, very gory sort of fashion, you know, and, and never left. Presumably that somebody, you know, in the Saudi embassy has killed him, all right? But Turkey is not willing to share any of the information it says it has because they don't want to They say compromise their sources. So Turkey is saying he was killed, but we we can't tell you by who and we can't tell you how that we know how this is killed. He was killed. So now you have all the the international community who is, is appropriately outraged if you had a journalist that would be murdered by the Saudi government. But we don't know that because his body hasn't turned up. We don't know it because Turkey claims to have this evidence, but they're not going to show it. And of course, you've got you know, Saudi Arabia, which is an important strategic partner for the United States. So that's kind of the background. It's what do you do now? So I'm watching, again, I'm stuck watching CNN International, and I'm watching all these talking heads saying that, you know, Donald Trump, you know, Donald Trump essentially needs to go to war. That this is, this is, we we have to, if it turns out that the Saudis killed this guy well, what we need to do is, yes, we, we understand that they're huge trading partners and there's economic interests and we understand that we need Saudi cooperation to try to keep Iran under control. But it doesn't matter. This is the point where we need to break off relations and impose, you know, trade situations with them and, and try to do everything we can to bring presumably regime change in Saudi Arabia. President Trump, for his part, is saying and has been saying, look, we, we don't know what, what happened here. I obviously, you know, I'm troubled by this. I talked to the king of Saudi Arabia. He says the government had nothing to do with this. Maybe he's lying. You know, maybe he's not. Trump is suggesting that, all right, maybe to the extent something happened here, it was some, you know, somebody operating in a rogue fashion within the, the Saudi consulate or whatever who just took it upon themselves to do that. But, you know, Trump is getting all this heat. At least he was suggesting that you you have to do something. You have to crack down on the Saudis, and if it destroys our relationship with them and we get into another battle over oil or whatever, you've got to do it. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I understand that there's people out there who love President Trump. I understand there's people out there who hate President Trump. In this particular situation... I think President Trump by taking a what I will describe as a measured approach to this is doing absolutely and totally the right thing if it turns out that there is verifiable evidence that the Saudi government killed this, you know, exiled journalist and brutally murdered him. There will be plenty of time to try to decide what, if any, sanctions that you want to impose. But this is a very, very volatile situation. And I'm not, I would not be condoning that. And, and, and I don't. But at the same time, this is a volatile situation in a volatile part of the world. And I think what you have to do is resist this, this urge to have a knee jerk reaction to it until you're sure what it is that you are reacting to. All four seven nine nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I, I mean, th- there is a history of duplicity with Saudi Arabia. I, I I, understand all that. And I'm certainly not arguing that they are choir boys. I do think, though, that you need to be really careful in in a situation like this before you decide that you're going to go in guns blazing or whatever. And I swear, I, I, I'm i watching some of these commentators. And part of it is, of course, because they hate Trump. And if Trump were saying, okay, we're going to have this massive reaction to this, then they'd hate that. The fact that Trump has said, Look, I'm I'm not doing anything really at the moment until we know more of what's going on. Well then they hate that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. By the way, two thirty five this afternoon, we're going to be joined by US Senator Ron Johnson. I'm going to ask him about this as well. But what do you think should happen? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're first. Hello.
4: Hi. Hi, Steve. Um hi. I wouldn't trust Saudi Arabia at all because uh, think of all the money they give to ISIS mm-hmm. and there's ISIS flags flying within Saudi Arabia. So to me, they're no better than than Iran. Realistically,
0: so what? What do you? Okay, so now, you know, and I and by the way, I don't disagree. I'm not arguing that the Saudis are. <laughs> you know, I, I that that's not the. But okay, so what do you do? You're President Trump. You've got this situation that, that's out there. We don't know. We don't know the facts right now. What do you do?
4: Well, I, you know, it's it's a difficult situation, but you have to hold them accountable. But yet, you have to be be careful that right. you know you don't start another war.
0: Well, right. I mean, thanks. Yes, thank you. That, that's what I. That is essentially what I was screaming at the TV set as I'm watching this thing. It's like, yeah, yes, you want to hold a degree of accountability, but but what are we going to do? I mean, is, is this something because this foreign this exiled journalist might have been murdered? Is is this what? the u s is going to start a, a war over. Is this what the u s is going to cancel? I mean I, again, we're from a from an economic perspective, since there is you've got the oil issue, you know you've got the arms deal that's going on and and the Saudis while I agree with you, you don't trust them as far as you can throw them still um they they are I think, a moderating force on Iran in that region and that's sure what we need four one four seven nine nine one six twenty let's talk to bernie in chicago bernie you're in wtmj hello
1: yeah great show as usual jeff i i feel it's somewhat ludicrous to ask the average guy what they think because only the president and his advisors really can have a handle on this the people who hate trump are going to say no matter what he does, it's no good. It was it's been all that since day one of those administration. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let you finish no the right.
0: point, but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, you know, it, let let's say this was the other extreme. Let's say you had President Trump who was saber rattling you know, unless there is an immediate apology and a full disclosure of this, we're going to do X, Y, or Z. If he was saber rattling, a lot of those same people would be saying, oh, here's this madman getting ready to get us involved yeah. in World War III. Yes, he, President Trump cannot win on this situation. Yep.
1: Yeah, and one thing, Jeff, that I might add, there's the whole Iran situation. There's sworn enemies of Saudi Arabia. If we take action against Saudis, that helps our enemy, yeah. Iran. Yep. What about the friend of our enemy, or the enemy of my yeah. friend? And blah blah blah. There's all sorts of considerations oh. that have to be taken into account.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right, Bernie. It, and it's, I mean, it it is it is a mess. I, I mean, it, it, look, and again, I Saudi Arabia has a history of human rights abuses, and 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 if would it surprise me that something happened? To that guy when he walked into the Saudi embassy in in Istanbul, no, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Do I think we're going to find him, you know, sipping coffee at some cafe in in you know somewhere in Turkey? No, I don't think that's going to happen. Obviously, something happened there, but I, I think these are these situations where you've got to know what it is before you decide how you are going to react to it, and, and then again, you do have to measure. You know, vital U.S. interests. And I understand that because he's a a guy that writes for the Washington Post and a well-respected journalist there, I understand that that's there's there's a lot of sympathy that's out there. But at the same time, there are some of these bigger pictures out there as well. I mean, I just think you, you wait. You figure out what you want to do, and then you figure out what, if anything, the appropriate response would be. In this particular case, I think anybody that urges doing anything, anything more than that, until you know for certain what happened, I think is making a huge, huge mistake. All right. When we come back, there's a story in the news, something about what Congress is doing And something about an experience I had yesterday I want to share with you, bring them both together, and we're going to discuss. Stick around. It's 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. We talked about, before I went on vacation, we talked about this this move that is being considered by Congress nowadays to legislate leg room and seat size on airplanes. Because despite the reality that many of us, our seats are getting bigger, what's happening is airplanes, in an effort to – I don't remember the last time I've been on a plane that hasn't been full. I I, I don't. Um, And what they're doing is, in an effort to make money, they're they're packing more and more people onto the planes, and they're putting smaller and smaller seats in and things like that. And Congress – is looking at legislation that would require there to be certain seat sizes now when we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I argued that I, I think I think it's a market thing i, I don 't think Congress should be regulating that in that particular fashion, and this again comes from this perspective of somebody who's 6'1", 200-plus pounds and cramming into a small airline seat is, is just a mess but i, I don 't I think it's a marketplace thing i, I don 't think it's something by law that does bring me to an interesting area of airport and airplane etiquette. So even though I don't think it should be a law, I want to discuss with you what the appropriate thing to do under certain circumstances. Now here's the deal. Yesterday for me was an extremely long travel day. It was somewhere between 20 and 24 hours of travel yesterday. I'm remarkably awake. I'm not jet lagged at all, but, but, but here's the deal where where i was in germany and in austria and hungary 7 hours ahead of us so 1:27 now it would be 8:27 at night so that that's kind of what the, the time thing is so sunday morning their time my day started at about 8 in the morning their time their time being passau germany which would be 1 a.m. here so bags outside the room leave the ship, get on a bus, two-hour bus ride to Munich, maybe a little bit longer. Go through customs, wait for about three or four hours in the Munich airport, hop on a Lufthansa flight from Munich back to Chicago. And I'm I'm in economy class with the rest of our group. Now, the seats on this particular airplane, uh, they – they they were not they were not built for people who are six one two hundred plus pounds, and the pl- the plane was absolutely full, and the flight was nine and a half to ten hours, so you're you're in this this is after like a couple hours on a bus you're you're in this plane for nine and a half or ten hours that's fine then it lands in Chicago and it, it, it everything. Everything went as smoothly as it possibly could. So that is not the complaint. And then you know that if you're gonna travel the world, that's one of the things. Sometimes you, you gotta so that's it's not a complaint with that. But but here's here's the deal. So I am sitting I am sitting in my aisle seat, row twenty-nine. I, I'm in twenty-nine H. My lovely wife is sitting and, and, and she's she's smaller, so that she's sitting in the, the middle seat next to next to me there is a guy in 28h who is he's he's a german he is about my size maybe maybe he's an inch or two taller so he's probably maybe like 62 63 and about my size so we're about the same size he plops into his seat and as soon as we take off he hits the recline button and reclines all the way so he is essentially in my lap. Well, okay, I'm
2: just... I'm sorry I'm
4: imagining this happening to you. Okay. And I'm sorry it did, but it's funny.
0: So, okay, my, my wife is now sitting next to me, and she's looking at this. <laughs> looking and and, at and she like, sees... Because she what? knows I, what I want to do is I want to take the flat of my hand <laughs> and slap Hans, you right. know, on the top, whatever his name is, on the top of the head. But he's a big guy, too. Okay? So it's now... Hans is now back in, in my lap, essentially. You
4: could, like, give him a head massage while he's
0: here. It's, it's, it, it's a nine-and-a-half-hour flight, so, so but, but the seats recline. So, you know, my, my wife, she says, well, you know, you can recline, but if I recline, then I'm doing the same thing to right, the poor, right. you know what, behind me. Aww. So she's then saying, well, do you want to trade with me? Because she's in the middle seat, and she doesn't mind being in the middle seats, because like I say, she's... France about five five or whatever, so she she's fine with that. And I'm going no i I want to be on the aisle seat, so now my choice is if i if i can like if I, it's I can stretch my left leg out a little bit, but I got Hans in my lap or the back of the seat, in my lap. okay, I'm going to turn this over to Melissa in a minute but but this and I see it and this it was just magnified because it was nine and a half hours on a flight, but this happens, I'm sure all the time you get on the plane. And the first thing the person does in front of you is hit that button and boom, they're back and they're reclining into you. Now, the seats recline, so I understand you can do that. But as I frequently talk about on this program, just because you can do something doesn't mean that it is the right thing to do or that you should do something. So four one four seven nine is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Reclining on planes. Rude or, hey, I paid for the seat. It goes back. I get to do whatever I want. 138, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ Radio presents the Hometown Call at Turner Hall on Monday, October fifteenth, 2018. That would be today. The free, you heard me right, free. Event will feature a massive movie screen broadcast at the Turner Hall Ballroom, that's upstairs of Game Three of the National League Championship Series between the Brewers and the Dodgers. Sync to Hall of Famer Bob Uecker's play-by-play broadcast on WTMJ Radio and the Associated Bank Brewers Radio Network. Did I mention the event is completely free? Doors open at five thirty. Okay, if you're just tuning in, all right, I'm, I'm flying back last last yesterday from Germany. Um, I'm I'm on I'm in economy class on Lufthansa. And the seats, first thing I do is I sit down. Guy in front of me will call him Hans. Hans is about my size, over six feet. And first thing Hans does is he knows I'm behind him. He just pushes that button, pushes that seat all the way back. He reclines as far as he can. So Hans is essentially in my lap, all right? And he stays in my lap, or at least the back of his seat stays in my lap for all nine-plus hours. My wife is saying, well, you can recline, but then all I'm going to do is I'm going to I don't know. I'm going to be in the lap. I'm going to make the guy behind me uncomfortable. I know the seats do this. I I understand. I mean, if the airlines didn't want you to be able to be permitted to do it, they would not make the seats to recline. I will tell you this, though. I don't do it. And I I don't do it. i got to jump on a jet at the end of this week just for for a a quick trip out of town. I I just I don't do it because I think it's rude to do that to the people behind you. And even though you can do it, I don't think it is the right thing to do, but that's just me. 414 Let's talk to, um, let's see, let's start with Rick in Mequan. Rick, you're first. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Good. What do you think?
4: So this is about five years ago. My wife and I are coming back from uh, Europe, and I'm on a KLM flight, and I have the aisle. My wife has the, the middle seat. This guy, and I'm only like 5'8 and 160 pounds. But this guy sits down in front of me, and as soon as we're airborne, he reclines his seat and literally I could look at the top of his forehead.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, it
4: came back that far. Right. And I got the flight attendant and I said and my wife is looking at like me, don't you dare. Right. Don't do So anyway, the flight attendant comes back and she looks at him and she goes, If it reclines that far, that's how far he can recline. Yep. And the seat was actually broken. <laughs> oh, so You know, he didn't come back and lay in my lap, but it was broken to the extent that he could come down and I could literally look up, look and see. So my option was I ended up sitting in a middle seat somewhere else. My wife sat sat in her seat. I sat in the middle seat somewhere else because I could not fly nine hours with this guy in my lap. And and of course, he knew
0: what was going on and didn't care.
4: Oh, he didn't care. I mean, you couldn't even put down your snack tray. I mean, that's how, you know, but he didn't care. So that was our option. So, yeah, it happens. And it's.
0: I it's, no, I think. I mean, again, it, it happens, and you're right that the seats, because they still allow them to recline, people do that. All right, here's a text. Why, why does your discomfort at being crowded trump my discomfort at having to sit up for nine hours without being able to relax? So now that's one of my texts. In other words, hey, if if I inconvenience other people, well, all right. Why why should they? Why I, if I want to relax on the plane? Good luck with that to begin with. And it makes me more comfortable to push back and to give other people less room. Well, that—that's why would that be my problem? Well, I I understand. That's kind of the way the rules work right now. I'm just thinking, well, you know, if you, I don't know, most people, if you're a decent human being, you would say, I'm not going to inconvenience the other people, my fellow travelers. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to... Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hey there. Thanks for taking the call. Yes, sir. This just happened to me uh, earlier uh, last week. I was flying home in Salt Lake City and sitting in an aisle seat. I'm about maybe, depending on the day, about six feet tall, 180 pounds or so. And okay. the guy in front of me um, leaned back you know, all the way. It was only a couple of inches, but it caused a ton of discomfort for me. Sure. And I looked behind me and thought, oh, if there's a kid, maybe I'll do it because he's not going to manage or she's not going to matter." but there's another adult behind me, so I didn't do it. Because you're just starting a chain reaction. Right. I thought to myself, the guy in front of me, the, the amount of uh, discomfort for me was,
0: you know, it, it, so it, it, much it, it's greater it. than than if than the the relaxation that he got. The guy in front yeah. of you. Yep.
2: Yeah. It just it just. I I agree. I think it's just one of those things where you're not getting that much out of it, but you're causing a huge issue for everyone else behind you. So couldn't agree more.
0: No. Thanks, go. Well, and, and again, the the airlines invite this by by allowing this to happen, and it's going to get worse and worse as the Uh, Again, is is airlines cram more and more people onto it? But I will tell you, I don't. I I mean, again, it then of course the ideal thing is, hey, if somebody does that and you're flying on a plane that's half full, well, it's no big deal. You 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 move, all right? Nope, no problem. You you kind of move over. But if somebody does that and you got nowhere to go, well, all right, it's nine and a half hours in my situation yesterday. Now, some of the way you got even is. I, I mean, I think if you're on a long flight, you got to get up and walk around a little bit. So, you know, I was trying to get up every hour or so. So for me to have to get up, I mean, literally, I couldn't just squeeze out. I'd have to kind of, you know, grab the seat in front of me and kind of hoist my butt up on the armrest and then kind of navigate my way out. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm wrestling with this and all. But I was thinking – I, You know, and the airlines invite this. To me, I would much rather, I don't think you need legislation, but if the airlines in these economy classes would simply say, we're not going to let the seats recline, I would be all in favor of, I would be all in favor of that. Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hey, thanks for taking my sure. call. I was telling your screener, um... If you use a strategically placed, uh, like metal water bottle, it does a great job preventing those thieves from coming all the way back. And yeah. Yeah. quite honestly, I'll, I'll pay it a little bit extra on those long flights to
1: fly like Delta Comfort or Alaska Airlines Premier. It's probably yeah. like 40 bucks a flight, but
2: you get more room. But the problem I have is not so much that, but I'm trying to understand why, it, when it became all right for people to take their shoes off on airlines <laughs> or the one that was on the internet, the right, day before yesterday on Facebook, a woman buffing the calluses off her
4: heel. Oh
0: ooh, ooh, ooh no, oh, oh, no, okay, they, no, 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 I'm sorry, I don't even want to go down that route. I just got off, I just got off a nine-plus hour, and, and actually the flight was fine, it was on time, it, I mean, I just got, I don't even want to think about that, 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 <laughs> that yes, it, that, well, we were, we were, I, I was traveling with, with the group that I went with, so I, it, that, unlikely, but I guess, it, it is, it's just one of these things, and I, what what was interesting to me about this, and I guess it is kind of a human nature thing, is that that Hans knew what he was doing. Sometimes people do stuff cluelessly. Hans knew what he was doing, and he didn't care. And I just maybe I could have done the same thing, but I was looking at the guy behind me, and I thought, you know, I just I don't want to I don't want to be in his lap either, because like the caller was saying, it sort starts, starts a chain reaction. But I, I think this ends up happening a lot. And I understand that the airlines invite some of these problems by treating us all like we're, you know, it, we're, it's you know, it, it's like, again, we're like cattle because, you know, you fill up the planes, you try to get as many people as you possibly can get in on it. I think, a lo- I think a lot of these problems would go away if people, I don't know, just were perhaps a little bit nicer to other people on the planes, but don't expect that to happen. And now we'll see. Like I said, I've got to jump on the jet at the, uh, the end of the week for a day or two, and after that, I'm... I'm here. I'm no, no more vacation till the very end of the year. But, ah, yeah, it was interesting. Think of me. Think fondly of me on the, the airplane yesterday. All right. And the seat in my lap. All right. When we come back, Shorewood, Shorewood High School, creating a lot of controversy. And, you know, oftentimes, oftentimes you understand how you can screw up once. But amazingly, Shorewood manages to screw up twice on the same issue. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As Brew October rolls on, we give you a detailed look at Brewers players with a connection to Los Angeles and California. John McCure has that story. Tune in, 3.30 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay, while I was gone, the controversy out of the People's Republic of Shorewood. To kill a mockingbird is one of the great American novels. You know, we've talked about Mockingbird before. It um, portrays a certain point in time in American history. Harper Lee's book portrays that vividly and portrays it accurately, warts and all. It also is a, an incredible, I think, discussion and comment, offers incredible commentary and serves a, an incredible teaching lesson on the way things were in parts of this country at a particular time. And, you know, I, I think really people come away from reading Mockingbird or seeing the movie with, with an idea and an appreciation and a revulsion for the the racism and the prejudice that existed in in this country, and to that extent, it is teachable. Well, because it is honest and it is reflective of its time, it uses language which I, I think most of us, unless we are, I, I guess, attending a rap concert, would find offensive. Which is the the predominant use of the n word. Now, I understand nowadays, if if you're a, a rapper, you can get up and you can use the n word every third word, making your music music video, but But we'll put that aside for a minute. Mockingbird does not gratuitously use the N-word, but again, it uses the N-word to, again, show the level of racism, things like that, that existed at the time it was written. So, Shorewood High School decides they're going to put on Mockingbird. It's going to be three performances. And what happens is a relatively small group of students decide that they're they're going to complain. This is terrible. You know, we, we we can't have this word you know, be be said by classmates, and we can't have it said by the performance, and we can't have it said at a school-sanctioned thing. Now, my question would be, I do seriously wonder, of the students who were protesting the use of this, how many of them go to concerts or have CDs or download, you know, uh, MP3s the, of, of performers who gratuitously use this word? I don't know. It would be interesting. But they are appalled by the fact that in the context of Mockingbird, which uses the N-word to make a point. They are offended that this would exist. And Shorewood, in a very particularly and especially weenie fashion, decides, oh, well, we can't have people that are upset about this. And they decide to cancel, to cancel the play. And they cancel it at the last minute. And have apparently appropriately been criticized for again, giving in to the tyranny of, of the minority and essentially engaging in their own version of book banning by you know, killing a, an American classic. So now, stung by that criticism, Shorewood has said, well, all right, tell you what, we will let this play go on, but we're only going to let it go on after we have a one-and-a-half-hour community conversation about you know, the use of, of the N-word. So we're going to do that on Tuesday, and then after that, you know, we'll allow the play to go on. And, of course, that hasn't satisfied some of the the people who are protesting who are saying, no, it's still, it's just inappropriate to stage a play that uses this particular word. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should, is it appropriate for a high school for example, in the very, very politically correct community of Shorewood, to stage a, a play of an American classic that uses some of the language from that play, language that is intended to make a particular point, language that is harsh, but nevertheless again exists to further the message of the play. Should Shorewood have canceled a mockingbird play? Should they now have gone along, decided that they made a mistake and now allow the play to go on but only after a community conversation which isn't satisfying some of the protesters or should they have just let this alone and let the play go on as scheduled last week? 414-799-1620 That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a minute. 154 Jeff Wagner WTMJ it's 2.07, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Ron Johnson at 2.35. We'll be talking a number of things with the senator. But I, I, right now we're discussing this controversy. Last week, Sherwood High School had planned a stage to kill a mockingbird, and then they, they gave in, in in the face of a relative handful of protests from people who were offended by the use of, of the N-word in the context. And everybody knows what mockingbird is about. And there, there's a, there is a specific purpose for why... That word is used in a very, very powerful book slash movie slash play about, you know, racism in the South at that particular period of time. But the weenies, who are the Sherwood administration, they gave in. Oh, we can't have people that are offended by this. Now they've decided, well, we'll, we'll let it be staged just once, but only after we have uh, a presentation and an hour and a half, community meeting on, on, on race. And, of course, that's not enough to satisfy some of the people who are the protests. One of the things that I admit irritates me about this whole thing is the, what I perceive to be the absolute hypocrisy of some of the people who object to, to the use of, of the word in this context, because at least in the context of, of, of Mockingbird, it is not a gratuitous reference at all. There is a particular and powerful connotation. There's a reason why the word is used. I would be interested in knowing, again, of the people who were protesting this play, um, how many of those people, including some of the students who were protesting and some of their parents, how many of them might have from time to time been downloading the rap music that gratuitously uses that word? In, In my opinion... That, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a book banner and I'm not a censor guy, but the the idea of it's the gratuitous use of that word in today's society that bothers me a lot more than the historical use of that word to try to, again, have an impact and make a point and highlight how awful times were and how bad racism was, you know, in, in Southern communities years and years ago. alright seven nine nine one six twenty, Scott in Oconomowoc. Scott, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
2: Um, well, I'm a licensed teacher in the state of Wisconsin, and I quit teaching for reasons such as this, the ridiculousness, uh, on behalf of the school administrations um, that I've experienced. And I feel that while... Perhaps the people who were complaining about this issue had the best intentions. They're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a goal that they want to reach by not having this word said, yet they're going against a piece of literature that is working against that itself. So it's it's very ridiculous to me.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, that, that's, there is a purpose to the use of the word. It, this is not something gratuitous is inserted into a modern-day rap song. This is a piece of historical, uh, in this case, it, it's a play, but historical literature or whatever that that's designed to show the horrors and how hateful that word really is. And you're objecting, oh, gee, we're going to object to that, but then, here, let's go dance to the local rap. I just, it, the hypocrisy of it drives me nuts. I understand uh, completely. Yeah, thanks for the call. I mean, I appreciate it. Six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. And it, and again, it's this, this this double standards that that are there. Now, I mean, I guess Shorewood deserves some credit for saying we made the wrong decision when we gave in last week and caved under under pressure to this. And I don't even know how much pressure it was. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, you're not going to be able to make everybody happy. And I understand these are sort of sensitive topics, but sure would at least on the one hand okay the the play is back on but only only one night how how is that fair to all the kids that worked on on this particular production and then only after a well, we're going to have to have this hour-and-a-half you know, discussion on race. I, I have no problem with having a one-and-a-half-hour discussion on race or whatever, but it is unfortunate that you did that in capitulation to the people who were objecting to the use of this particular word in the play in the first place. And again, they're not happy, and a lot of those protesters are still saying, well, we're going to boycott um, this. Let's talk to, let's see, Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Yeah, my thought on the deal is that this is a school and the school is to be, to educate kids.
1: Right. And to teach them about this and why it happened and everything has really nothing to do with the book or anything, just to teach it. A lot of these people that are protesting are parents. The students are also the ones that wanted to do this. So it's more or less like the school is actually doing what they should be doing, teaching the students right. about it, right? And, and you can educating them on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, thank, thanks. For, you you can't sanitize history. If if you were listening, thanks for the call. If you were listening to the start of the show, let, let me just go back and kind of bring this around I, the of my trip to Europe last week, all the different places I I, I went. I, I was saying, and, and my wife was kind of mocking me about I, I've, I've you know married a history nerd, and yes, she, she kind of did. Of all the places we saw, the place that had the most impact to me was we were standing in the town square in Linz, Germany, and in Linz, Austria, and I, I'm looking at this balcony, and I talked about this a couple hours ago. That there's the balcony where in 1938, when Germany annexed Austria. Adolf Hitler stood and addressed this crowd. Apparently, there were like 20,000 cheering Austrians in the crowd. Now, there's a huge historical debate about whether Austria was essentially taken over or whether the Austrians willingly joined Nazi Germany. And I, I, I don't know enough about it to form an opinion. But the, it was interesting because the, the guide who I was talking to about this, knew I was kind of fascinated by this. And he was saying, look, this is, he said, you know, uh, some tour guides don't even talk about this because this is not something that, that we Austrians are proud of. The fact that this is where, you know, we one way or the other were aligned with Nazi Germany and all the terrible things that happened. But I, I, he said, "It's this is important. It is, In my opinion, it's important for people to see this because it is part of our history. And I guess I think the same way about production's like Mockingbird or teaching Mockingbird in classrooms. its Is it difficult? Is it harsh? Will some people be offended by it? Will some people be uncomfortable by it? Yes, but, but that's how you learn learn things. Let's talk to David in Glendale. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Hi, how David. are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this?
3: Well, there's certainly no sound bite answers to it. Uh, I, I'm not sure of the culture of that school on the surface. Uh, it sounds like this would be an opportunity to really make some steps forward to help this, uh, uh, schools, uh, play, uh, and the people involved with it to learn something valuable. So I, you know, I think that issues like this are sometimes deeper than, uh, um, what it appears on the surface. I don't know what that school is like. I graduated from West Division. Mm-hmm. I believe that schools that have a culture where there's a, a, a healthy mix and diversity could probably handle it. Maybe this school just can't really um, carry the weight of having something where perhaps one group feels another group's taking advantage of them. But The Missed Opportunity, this is one of the great movies. Of course, it is art. And so the use of this uh, uh, play in an artistic mm-hmm. way uh, really is a tragedy for me. I think opportunities to be involved in a play like that is, is really right. a great thing. So uh, I hope they can work it out. Uh, perhaps there's a deeper meaning for some people, and and they're just afraid to cross that precedent.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I think you. you raised an interesting point, David, about it, it, it being – it being art as well and you have i mean you see a lot of this conversation as well where we talk about you know art and and art art is edgy i am told oftentimes jeff you know get off your high horse art art is meant to be offensive and just because lots of people are going to be offended by this depiction of the Pope, or somebody's going to be offended about this or that or the other thing. Somebody's going to be offended about this depiction of Donald Trump. Get over it, Jeff. Somebody's going to be offended by this depiction of the Pope. Get over it, Jeff. It's art. Art is meant to be that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it is art in a way as well. And again, going back to the point I was making a minute ago, to the use of the N-word in the play To Kill a Mockingbird, it is not It is not gratuitous. It is for a point. And if I'm going to be abs- upset about the use of the N-word, as I, I am on many, many occasions, it, it, it would be more directed at the gratuitous use by people who really should know better. It's 217. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, it used to be where America shops. What the heck is going on? Stick around. 220 Jeff Wagner, W2MJ. WTMJ Radio presents the Hometown Call at Turner Hall, Monday, October 15th. That is tonight. The free, yes I said free, event will feature a massive movie screen broadcast um, at Turner Hall's ballroom of Game 3 of the National League Championship Series between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Los Angeles Dodgers. It is synced to Hall of Famer Bob Euchre's play-by-play broadcast on WTMJ Radio and the Associated Bank Brewers Radio Network. Did I mention the event is completely free? Doors open at five thirty. It's going to be a lot of fun this evening. You going, Gru? You're you're going to the Packers game? Whoa! Look at the big wallet on my producer, Gru. You're going to the Packers game? Very cool. That's how that that have you you been to the Packers game before? Haven't you? Yeah, plenty of times. Oh, yeah, that that'll be a great game. Um, I didn't get invited to this. You know, normally they yeah, you know, but I didn't get invited to this one. But I think I think they. I I have to admit I I'm I am kind of dragging a little bit. I there were. There were like giant unpacked suitcases from a week on the road, and all sorts of stuff around the house that need to be done. So, so, um, and my producer points out I wasn't at the first viewing party either. But I was at the game. I broadcast from Miller Park, and then I was at the game. Yeah, this. um, I yeah, I just I, I, I don't. This is one where, like I say, very little unpacking, and the house. Well, it was, it's there, there's stuff that needs to be done, and I admit I'm dragging a little bit. I, no, I But it sounds like it's going to be an absolute lot of fun, and I know Steve is going to be there. I know John McCurry's going to be there. It's going to be great, and they're going to root home the brewers for a victory, I can tell. Maybe next time around. All right. It used to be where America shops. Now it's where almost nobody shops. At one point in time, Sears was the largest retailer in the country. After... Uh, in the last week or so, they've announced another closing of like another 150 or 200 stores. They're going to be down to around only 500 stores. And today the announcement was they are, they've are they gone into Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Chapter 11 gives them an opportunity to perhaps restructure, uh, but it's never good. Bonton, Boston Store, went into bankruptcy, wasn't able to come out of it. Sears has been heading this way for a long time, and they've been making a variety of deals over the last couple of years where they reshuffled their debt in an effort to try to stay in business. But the truth of the matter is there's only so much of that they can do. There's not too many financial experts that think that Sears is going to be able to emerge from this. And, again, I I don't play a – i don't play a shopping a retail store analyst, but I don't see how the Sears story ends any different than the the Bonton story ended any different than a lot of other stories ended. I think it's interesting how we got there though when when i when my parents moved to Milwaukee years and years ago nineteen sixty seven the largest retailer the big go to store, yeah, they had Boston stores and they had gimbals, but there was a Sears store on North Avenue. And it was enormous. It was the whole block. And if you needed anything, you you got it. I mean, if, if anything you needed, you went to that Sears store on, on North Avenue. And I can remember every year the Sears Christmas catalog would come out, and that would be a th- big thing. Sears really was where America shopped. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Sears was where America shopped. Not anymore. Down to a, a relative handful of stores across the country into bankruptcy. Does Sears come out of it, or is this is this not just the beginning of the end? Is this one step before the end of the end? Will Sears continue to exist as a viable store and brand a year from now? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And if it's gone, if it's going to disappear, why is that? My guess is. Maybe years ago, you did shop at, at Sears. What happened? We discuss next. 414 224. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Sears announced today that it was filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They also announced that they're going to close another 142 stores by the end of the year. That's on top of another 46 disclo- closures. Um, that should bring them down to around... Ballpark 500 stores. At one point in time, Sears was the largest retailer in the country. I, I'm sorry, I just don't see how they come back from this. And I, I feel bad for the 60 some thousand employees across the country who are going to lose their jobs. But I, I think Sears is a relic of the past. Jack, downtown. Jack here on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, how's it going?
0: Good. What do you think?
2: Um, I think that Sears is the old Amazon. Like Sears took out. A lot of these mon pa places you know yep. in the 50s and everything and in the sears catalog
0: not... i mean remember how people would order stuff out of the sears catalog and stuff like that that you couldn't find that that was the big thing here we're going to get the bike uh, we're going to buy the bike from sears get it delivered in time for christmas
2: absolutely everybody circled everything they wanted for christmas yeah. and now and now amazon's going to take them out this is this is the way it is and you know, they didn't modernize with the time. They yes. they were the first, you know, online or not online, but mail order doing it. And now they didn't go to the online world as much as everyone else did. So yeah, I think they're a relic. They're a thing of the past.
0: No, thanks. Look, I I think you're exactly right. I, I mean, I just, I, I, relic is is the word that I that I would use. There was there was a time where Sears Sears had the stuff that that you wanted to have. I mean, you had you know they they had in many respects they had the appliance world cornered you know and and they had the tool world cornered and all but that just that wasn't enough after a while i think what happened was the, the i don't know how you you sustain a business on selling appliances it's tough because People just don't buy that many appliances. You buy a refrigerator and the refrigerator is going to last for 10 or 15 years. You buy, you know, the stove or washer dryer or whatever. There, there's just not enough new people coming in buying dryers to sustain the other stuff. Um, you, you had the tool department that I think was always big. Those were the two highlights. I think, again, the appliances and, and the tools, but that wasn't enough. I mean, Sears, let, let's face it, the, the clothing and stuff at Sears, that, that, didn't have the cachet that that had people coming back. And, and pretty soon, uh, some of their core businesses, again, like the tools and like the appliances, I don't think that was enough to sustain all the other operations. And it goes into the, this death spiral. And, and it's too bad because there were, I mean, you think about the Craftsman brand. That, for example, I mean, that, that was the gold standard for the longest time. I, um, I am really, I, I'm sorry to see this because, again, it has such a, it has such an impact on so many people's lives, particularly the tens of thousands of people who still work there. But I guess it it was inevitable. I think the handwriting's been on the wall. For Sears to come out of bankruptcy, at least in my opinion, you would, I mean, this would it would be an escape act worthy of Harry Houdini. And I'm just not sure that there's any Houdini left in Sears management. But my prediction is, you know, you're, you're not going to see a restructuring that ends up working, at least for any sort of length of, of time. And my guess is this probably really is the not the beginning of the end, but the, the middle of the end for Sears. And that, that's too bad, but times do change. And sometimes we think, okay, the, we've got all these institutions that are out there, and they're, they're never going to go away, and they go away. That's precisely, I think, what you're seeing happen to Sears. 235 Chuck Wagner, WTMJ. After a two-game split in Miller Park, the National League Championship Series shifts to California for three at Chavez Ravine. It's the Brewers and the Dodgers from Dodger Stadium with Bob Uecker on the call. Our coverage starts at five o'clock tonight. First pitch set for six thirty-nine. You know, as a Brewers fan, I'm just this is a magical season. I'm thrilled and I live and die by every pitch. I'm also I'm not just glad the team is doing well, and I'm it's great for the community. It's great for all of us. But I'm I'm really glad. I'm glad for Bob, who is a great guy. It would be presumptuous to call us good friends, but I I know Bob. We get a chance to talk on multiple occasions, and he's always been very, very generous with me whenever we've wanted to do interviews. And, you know, at at his age, 80, whatever he is, to to be in a situation where you're you're calling games for a team that has as good a chance as any to go to the World Series, I'm just thrilled for it. You can just tell how excited he is. All right. As I've been promising all day, we are now joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon.
2: Well, Jeff, how are you doing?
0: I'm well. Hey, are the Brewers. How many games are the Brewers going to take to beat the Dodgers? You want to go on the record? Oh,
2: I, I hope it's only three more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm with a you. Nervous fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 with you, too, Senator. Hey, first thing I wanted to talk to you about it is something that – it's a controversy in Washington. I'm not sure – how many average folks are paying attention to it, but, but maybe they, they should. I'm talking about the, these, they call them STLDs, the Short-Term Limited Duration Health Insurance Plans, and I, I know this is something near and dear to your heart.
2: Yeah, I've been pushing the, these since uh, really the beginning of 2017 as we started talking about uh, you know, re- repealing and replacing Obamacare, but the Short-Term Limited Duration Plans have been in existence for years. They existed all through the Obama administration, including under Obamacare, and you could buy these short term plans for a duration of three hundred and sixty four days on his way out the door. President Obama decided now we 're going to shrink those down to only ninety days and so now if you've been if you make too much money, you don't get a subsidy you've been priced out of obamacare's individual markets, all you can do is buy insurance at ninety days at a crack so what and, and the, by the way, that's what really puts your pre existing conditions at risk because you buy an insurance policy, if you get sick, they're not going to renew that 90-day plan. And now it's maybe nine months before you are open for the open enrollment under Obamacare. So the Democrats, Tammy Baldwin, have been completely dishonest as they talk about these short-term immigration plans. There est- estimates that about uh, 4.3 million Americans would take advantage of these. Of that 4.3 million, 1.7 are currently uninsured, primarily because they can't afford Obamacare plans. So, this gives people a free market alternative. Uh, eHealth uh, operates these plans, I said that in Milwaukee, the cheapest Obamacare plan for a family of three is over $16,000 a year. They figure there'll probably be a plan available for about $1,200 a year. Now, it's not the same coverage, but it's affordable coverage. It offers people coverage that they want in the free market as opposed to the one size fits all model. So, it's really about freedom, it's about choice, um, it's about consumerism. And Tammy Baldwin Democrats were grossly dishonest, talking about the Republicans wanting to take away protections on pre existing conditions. Jeff, I was there during the entire debate. There's not one Republican that I ever talked to in Washington, D.C. wants to get rid of protections for pre existing conditions. That's a complete lie on the part of the left.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Senator, let's, for people who, who might not quite understand how this works, what 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 do these really offer? Now, the duration what um, was just up to less than a year. But what are some of the differences between these plans and and Obamacare?
2: Well, th- there's no required type of coverage. So it doesn't have to co- cover you know, whatever. This is, this is a free market plan. Whatever a consumer contracts with an insurer, you can buy that plan. There's just no Obamacare man on it. But you know one thing that President Trump added to it is not only increased it from 90 to 364 days, but you can renew these things for three years. So again, if insurance companies want to probably charge a little bit more for that guaranteed renewal, Mm -hmm. but they can do that. So it really protects consumers. It gives consumers a choice. But yeah, you don't have the Obamacare mandates, which is which is what caused insurance plans on the individual market to double, triple, and quadruple in many cases.
0: So if I'm let's say my concern is I I want coverage for a catastrophic situation. If if somebody again, a catastrophic situation, but I really don't care if gee, I'm getting coverage for this type of checkup or, or whatever. I can pick and choose, and I can still get that coverage. I can get it, the stuff that I want, at a much more affordable rate.
2: Yeah, way more affordable. Again, according to eHealth, from $16,000 for the cheapest Obamacare plan that has all the bells and whistles to maybe as little as $1,200 a year for a family of three. Now, that's that probably is a catastrophic care plan. That family is deciding to pay for more things out of pocket up front, are they relatively healthy? Why, why should they be paying insurance to, that covers all these really unhealthy people? And, Jeff, that was the faulty architecture of Obamacare, is it forced a very small percentage of the American population, the people that have to buy the insurance with the after-tax dollars on the individual market, they are paying the full cost, the full social, social cost of guaranteeing people with pre-existing conditions. It's just not fair.
0: How do you think that this all turns out, Senator? Because I mean, obviously, the whole pre-existing condition issue—that's become an issue in the Wisconsin governor's race with with Governor Walker and, and Tony Evers. That the suggestion that Governor Walker doesn't want to protect people with pre-existing con- who have pre-existing conditions. I mean, i, I, I mean, we—I I think everybody, Republican and Democrat, recognizes that that's something important. It's just a question of, of what's the best way to do it, right?
2: Precisely. Again, it, it, it is dishonesty on the part of Democrats. The American people decided we want to cover everybody regardless whether they have pre-existing conditions or not. Now, if you take a look at the right way of doing it, you can go something like the the Maine's invisible high-risk pool. They passed Guaranteed Issue, which is covering people with pre-existing conditions, and their premiums doubled and tripled predictably. That wasn't acceptable, so they didn't repeal Guaranteed Issue, but they supplanted it with an invisible high-risk pool, and predictably their premiums were reduced to a third of the level for young people. They were cut in half for the elderly. So there's a way of designing this. Quite honestly, Republicans didn't even want to do that during the Obamacare debate because they didn't want to touch the issue of pre-existing conditions with a 10-foot pole. So, again, nobody, no Republican wants to take away those protections against pre-existing conditions. When the Democrats say we do, they are lying through their teeth. It is so dishonest, and you can tell they get fired up about it because it is so dishonest.
0: Senator, let's switch gears for a little bit. I I know um, at the end of last week, you you sent a, a letter to the director of the Federal Bureau of Administration in, in your role as, uh, again, a, a member of the Committee for Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. What, what information are you trying to get from the FBI and why?
2: Well, I mean, that specific letter is I want the memos that Andrew McCabe wrote memorializing his meeting with uh, Rod Rosenstein and, and uh, Lisa Page. Just just a very, very focused Oversight letter there, but this really came prompted from the uh, threat hearing where Director Ray uh, testified before us at the very end of that hearing. We first talked about the threats. At the very end, I started asking Director Ray about uh, all the oversight letters I have sent to him that have really been either not responded to at all or got a non-response response. response. And hopefully I'll be going back to D.C. next week to sit down with Director Ray. He he, uh, committed to doing so. But this is beyond absurd. How long this entire issue is in terms of the FBI investigation uh, over the Russian uh, deal, the 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 fact that we don't know really what the FBI put in those FISA warrant applications? Uh, I asked Director Ray, why, why don't you just like a bandy, just rip it off? Full disclosure, get this behind us. So that the FBI can have its credibility and integrity restored, because right now that's under question.
0: Well, it, it does almost seem like, if not every day, every week or every other week, there, there's something that comes up. Whether it's, it, it seems like some of the stuff is just being slow rolled, and and we we end up having the same conversation, wondering what was going on at the FBI, you know, two years ago. I, I agree. I guess I don't understand why just let it all out there and then then move on. And whatever it shows, it shows.
2: Yeah, this drip, drip, drip is not good for the agency. And you know, my guess, Jeff, is you know, right now they always say, oh, you know, we can't uh, give you this information because it reveals sources and methods and puts national security at risk. Trust me, no member of Congress wants to put those things at risk. My own personal opinion is that this is being withheld because the information, if it were revealed, is going to be embarrassing to individuals or to the agency. And that's not an acceptable response. That is not an acceptable reason to withhold this from the American people. That's you know when when they're withholding information from Congress, they're withholding information that the public has a right to know.
0: Senator, let me um, let me ask you about the the, the, the story that I, I was overseas last week, and the, the story that was certainly consuming a lot of people, which has to do with Saudi Arabia and the disappearance of the exiled Saudi journalist in, in Turkey. I'm, I'm just I've, I've got a my crawl screen here. CNN is saying that uh, the Saudi government is preparing to acknowledge that, that the journalist was killed um, in, in their custody. What, how, how should the U.S. react to this?
2: Well, we should wait to see exactly how this crime is going to be solved, you know, exactly what happened. If that means prosecuting, if, if there really were rogue assassins, well, they better identify them, and, and we better get the, a, a honest investigation of that but this could be a game changer in uh, american saudi relationship this is completely unacceptable behavior uh, i think uh, uh, i've certainly signed a letter um, potentially uh, instituting magnitsky act sanctions against uh, saudi arabia i don't know exactly where this goes but if if this is basically true if this is ordered by for example the crown prince that completely changes our relationship with that uh, with the saudi government
0: how important is the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia in in that region? Is is this an issue that I guess is worth blowing that up over if if the worst case scenario happens to play out?
2: No, and again, I, I wouldn't ever say we should blow up our relationship. I think you would change it. Um, no, it's, our relationship with Saudi Arabia is is incredibly important because Saudi Arabia is a is a more stabilizing influence in the Middle East when you compare it to Iran, because they're a counter to Iran, and Iran's influence is very maligned, a malignant influence in the Middle East, and, and Saudi Arabia and Iran are obviously a loggerhead, so you know, just from a standpoint of uh, countering Iran, Iran's aggression, uh, Saudi Arabia is a key ally from that standpoint. Plus, they do control about a third of the world's oil, uh, so it's also, they're also an important player. Uh, I, I certainly would like to see them reform and of course, the the whole promise of this crown prince is he's going to bring more more moderation reforms to the, the people of Saudi Arabia. But again, this would be hugely disappointing if this uh, all bears out to be true.
0: Hey, Senator, before I let you go, let me um, let me ask you to put on your political pundit hat. Um, some of the I, and again, I, I, as you know, I am extremely skeptical on polls. If you believe the polls, you wouldn't have been a senator. <laughs> you, you know, you would have lost both your elections if, if we watched some of those polls. So I'm extremely skeptical of this, but. Um, some of the new polling suggests that uh, the, particularly in in the Senate, Republicans, a, a number of your colleagues, may be doing better than were originally thought. Do you think there is some Republican momentum?
2: I, I do think so, and, and, and again, I have to hope that the people will use their common sense when 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 they see, you know, how the left behaves. You know, for example, in two thousand eleven, storming the the Capitol in Madison, vandalizing the Capitol, and when they see. You know, Democrats willing to just throw overboard the, the bedrock principle of our judicial system, the presumption of innocence, and then the way their, you know, their supporters behave. Um, it's really pretty shameful. You know, including Secretary Clinton. She said, you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy, destroy what you stand for or what you care about. So, so she's going to support incivility, the, the threats of harassment, which could lead to violence. If Republicans don't agree with her brand of socialism, or her open borders or support for sanctuary cities or catch and release, higher taxes, over-regulation? I mean, it is beyond the pale what Secretary Clinton said, what Maxine Waters, Cory Booker. So b- bottom line, yeah, I think Americans, I hopefully Wisconsinites, take a look at that that bad behavior on the part of Democrats, that overreaction, the mob type of mentality, and cooler heads will prevail and realize, you know, Republicans, really, they've done a pretty good job governing. Look at Look at our economy. 3.7% unemployment nationally, less than 3% in Wisconsin. The economy is booming because we stopped over-regulating. We have a more competitive tax system. Policy matters, attitudes matter, principles matter, and elections matter. So, Jeff, all I can say is, please, if you're a Republican conservative, you want to protect your individual liberty, get out and vote. Talk to every friend, family, neighbor. Uh, our, our country's in the balance.
0: Senator Johnson, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Hopefully we get a chance to talk in the near future. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Okay, Senator Ron Johnson, senior senator from the state of Wisconsin. We're back with more in just a moment. It's 249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.